0: Lord, what a a blessing to know that we can cry out to Jesus, Lord, that you hear us, that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf, Lord, what a blessing, what a privilege, thank you for your grace, we ask, Lord, as we go to your word, Lord, may you be our teacher tonight, not man's words, but your word, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. amen, God bless you guys. Turn your Bibles to Judges 21. Lord willing, we will finish up the book of Judges tonight. Appropriately enough, the next book we will be looking at. What do you think it might be? Ruth. Very good. You guys are paying attention. Yeah, Ruth is next in the Bible, so that's where we'll be next. And you know what? After going through Judges, Ruth is a good book to go to next. Amen? get to see the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the story of redemption after leaving a book that's all about man and him doing what is right in his own eyes and how that works out for him, which isn't too well. Well, if you're a note taker, there's going to be four points to the message tonight. I've titled the message, Consequences of a Vow Made in Haste. Consequences of a Vow Made in Haste. And this is something that throughout scripture we see men and tribes and nations enter into both foolish and sinful vows all the time. Now what is a vow? You know, we take marriage vows, right? Right? That's, basically, that's the main place that we hear it. But a vow is more than a promise to give it my best shot. A vow is a solemn and unbreakable covenant before God. And while the Word of God never commands us to make any real vows or oaths, although we'll talk about that, it does make it clear that when you do make one, you are to take it seriously and be faithful to keep it. And when the, with these truths in mind, such vows and oaths, should never be entered into lightly, but solemnly and reverently and in the fear of God. You know what, where man failed throughout Scripture and continues to today is when he's moved by passion and lust and pride and revenge and anger, and they enter hastily into a vow or an oath. We see it throughout Scripture. And we're going to see it again tonight. Where, without taking time to really consult or wait upon the Lord... You make an unbreakable commitment before God based on some fleshly desire. And where you see this the most today, you see it in marriage. I have people come into my office, their marriage is falling apart, you start to talk to them about what they did before they were married. Well, how much times did you guys wait upon the Lord? Did you, did you have biblical pre-marriage counseling? Did you, well, no. We knew each other for three weeks, we met in a bar, we were drunk the night we met, and Half drunk the night we got married, and we can't figure out why things aren't going so well. And the truth is that God can restore even that marriage, amen? God can restore that marriage. But the truth is that often we make these vows without the leading of the Holy Spirit. And a vow made in pursuit of immediate gratification with little or no regard for future consequences, most often the end result is a vow made in haste that has heavy consequences and a difficult path before it. And the desperate grasping. Here's the other thing that happens. We'll see it tonight. You make a vow in haste. And then after you make it, you realize, "Uh uh-oh. Shouldn't have done that. But now you've made it before God. And then you start looking for loopholes to get out. I've had more people bring me more loopholes. Yeah, but you don't understand. Now, here's my circumstances. They're really kind of special, though, because here's what happened. Let me tell you the story. And I go, are you married? Yeah, then stay married. Yeah, but you don't understand. He lied to me when it... Okay, and you married him, right? Yeah, stay married. But he would... Should have taken time to get to know him beforehand. Amen? Should have taken time to know him well enough to know that he wasn't telling you the truth. And we see this throughout Scripture. Those who jump in quickly are often the same people that want to jump out fast. They jump in quick and they want to get out real quick. And this is where the children of Israel are in this chapter. And we see some other examples. Back in Judges 11, remember Jephthah? Now Jephthah was a guy, he's out in a battle, and it wasn't a command God had given him or a vow God had called him to. He just said, Lord, if you give me victory, which God had already promised him, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house to you when I come home. And thinking the first thing that would greet him when he got to his land would be a cow or a sheep or something. Instead, it was his daughter. And he went... Oh, wait a minute. Whoops. Now, you got my interpretation on that? Judges chapter 11. I do not believe that he sacrificed his daughter on an altar. I don't believe that. I believe that he sacrificed her to serve in the tabernacle all the days of her life. Because she bewailed her virginity. If she was going to die, she would have bewailed her death. But here he, he puts this teenage girl probably in service for the rest of her life. And why did it happen? Because he made a rash vow. Saul of Tarsus, or not Saul of Tarsus, but King Saul, he made a rash vow. He made a vow when he was fighting in a battle. If anybody eats any food before we defeat the enemy, they're going to be put to death. Now again, is that vow honoring to God in any way? He's making a rash vow. And what happens? His son Jonathan is riding along in the woods. He's the one that just defeated the Philistines. He's going through the woods. He's hungry. He reaches down and grabs some honey and puts it in his mouth. The word gets back to his dad and his dad says, he's going to die. I'm going to kill my own son for eating honey. Does that seem like a God thing to you? And here's what happened. His own people rise up and said, you're not going to kill your son. We won't let you. And they didn't let him. But here's the point. We can make rash vows. We make them based on the physical. We can make them really quickly. We don't wait upon the Lord. We don't seek his face. Guys, when we make major decisions in our life, let me take that back. We make any decision in our life we ought to be making sure that we've heard from the Lord. Because if God is not leading us, we're going our own way, and that's the wrong way to go. As the Lord lives, we should follow Him, and seek His face, and know His heart. You know, and today we see, again, this most often happen in the vow of marriage. But it happens other places as well. We come before the Lord... And we make this vow, we make this promise to Him. And then when things don't go the way that we want because we've made it in haste and we've not prayed about it, we've not sought the Lord, then we want to jump right away from it. Well, that's what we're going to see in the text tonight. And it doesn't take long for the consequences of a hasty decision to come to light. And then all of a sudden, again, people begin to look for the loophole to get out of it. God's command... As I've said already in marriages, don't bail out, work it out. Amen? Amen. Don't bail out, work it out. God's highest is always restoration. You know, what's a great testimony when God restores a marriage, isn't it? It's a great testimony. You know the Bible talks more about marriage than it does the church? More references to marriage than the church in the Bible. The Bible also tells us that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, and aren't you glad He's never going to divorce us? Amen? We are his bride, and so we too should have that same heart. Well, real quickly, to catch you up to the the chapter itself. Remember, everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. This is why we've got the problems. Each man determining his way, each one going about life with little or no regard for God's word or his commands. And while this was true of the entire nation, the last few chapters, we've been looking at one man in particular. You remember he was a Levite. A Levite was a spiritual leader. Kind of a pastor of the day, almost. He was a man who interpreted the law for the people. He was a man who served in the tabernacle alongside the priests. That was his calling and his job. We met a Levite who kind of was going his own way, wasn't he? He took a concubine, which is a glorified word for a mistress. It was a mistress that everybody knew you had. And that may not be too unlike the world today either. There's a mistress everybody knew you had. And he had her only for the physical part of that relationship. And then she went, it says in the text, she went and played the harlot. She went and slept with other men and then ran away to her father. He went to get her back, not because he was in love with her. It seems like, wow, what a loving and gracious guy. She goes out and commits adultery and he goes to bring her back. And you know what? That's what the Lord would have us to do. But he's not going to get her back because he loves her. He's going to get her back only because he likes the way she satisfies him physically and we know that because of the way he treats her he goes there and then we know he's eating and drinking and being merry and because of that he leaves late to head back to home he ends up spending five days there he stops in a city called gibeah if you were here two weeks ago you know the story it's not a pretty one they stop in gibeah they're camping outside and epaphramite which is where they're from ephraim as well came and saw them sitting outside you're not going to be safe here come stay in my house So they went into his house, and it wasn't long before the homosexuals in town came and beat on the door and said, send that man out here that we may know him carnally. Send the Levite out. Send the pastor out that we might have sex with him. That's what was happening. How far away have they gotten from God? And remember, these were men who were children of God who were doing this. Nothing new under the sun, is there? And so what happens is, instead... The Empathomite offers his virgin daughter. Now, that guy needs to be slapped. He offers his virgin daughter and says, you can have her instead. Not going to happen at my house anytime soon. Now, I've never shot anybody, but I think there might be a shotgun or something coming out right about that point. Not touching my daughter. I don't think so, right? That's a dad's heart. And instead, this guy says, oh, you can have her. Now, that shows how far away from God they've gotten as a people, doesn't it? But then what happens, and this is the heavy part, just as heavy, is that this Levite, this man of God, grabs his concubine and throws her outside. Here, take her. And then goes to sleep. And while he is sleeping, they rape and abuse her all night long until she dies. He gets up in the morning, opens the door. She has crawled and fallen dead at the doorstep. He's not sure she's dead, but she's laying there. He walks by her and says, get up, let's go doesn't show her any love. Now, that's not a man who loves her. And so what does he do? He finds out she's dead. He takes her home. He cuts her into 12 pieces and sends out a message to all the 12 tribes of Israel and says, this is what happened to my concubine by the men of Gibeah. And it stirs up the people who all themselves are walking in total rebellion against God. And they all come together, 400,000 of them, they all come together and you know, having received this gnarly message that would get anybody's attention, they show up and they say, you know what, we're going to go up to Gibeah and we're going to get after these guys for what they've done. But the first thing they tried to do, they tried to be diplomatic at first. How did they do it? They said to the Benjamites, if you'll just give us the men who did it, we can just consider it done. Now the Benjamites, that's what they should have done, isn't it? They should have found out who it was and said, here you go. And justice should have taken place, but the Benjamites instead, instead said, "Well, no, these are our people of our tribe, and you're not taking them anywhere." Well, guess what? Civil war broke out amongst the children of Israel. Now, where is all this coming from? Everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. They are not serving and honoring God. You know what I see? This is a picture of today. The church. We're all supposed to be on the same team. Amen. We're all supposed to be serving the same God, pointing people to the same truth. And what happens is when people start doing what is right in their own eyes and they get away from the Word of God, all of a sudden you've got people that are supposed to be brothers and there's infighting. Now, I want to say this. If they're not against us, they're for us. That's what the Word of God says. Amen? At the same time, if they reject the cross of Christ, they're not our brothers. Amen? It's important that we point that out. So this is where we get to the story where We come to this point where this civil war takes place and we know what happens is that the first three times they go out to battle, the first two times, excuse me, they lose. And that 40,000 guys of this 400,000 died. 40 is the number of testing in scripture. The third time they finally come broken before God and say, Lord, should we go out? The Lord says, go, this time I'll give you victory. They go out and wipe out not just the men who are responsible, not just the people of Gibeah, but they end up in this frenzied war and they end up killing virtually all the Benjamites. Remember, they made a rash oath saying we will never give our wives to marry any of these men. And they made that vow, which seems like a good vow. Hey, if you guys won't turn over these rapists to justice, we don't want any of our daughters marrying you. We don't want them to have anything to do with you, but they're going to find out this rash oath that was not required by God is going to have some consequences to it. And so what happens is they kill them all except for 600 men. These 600 men are hiding in the rocks, this fortress in the rocks at Ramon. And there they are, and that's where we pick up the chapter tonight, in chapter 21. Now, if you're taking notes, the consequences of a vow made in haste, the first thing we'll see is mourning over over the potential consequences. Mourning over the potential consequences. When you realize you've made a vow in haste and it's not what God wanted you to do, you're going to come to a point where you realize, oh, and there's going to be mourning over the potential consequences. Secondly, rather than repent, you're going to try to cover up one mistake with another. Again, is that the world we live in? How many of you have done that? How many of you have ever told a lie and they told another lie to cover the first lie? You, you, that's what we, you know what? We blow it, and rather than repent, we add to it. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. They make a rash vow, and instead of repenting and saying, Oh, that was stupid, Lord. Forgive us. We won't do that anymore. Let's just make it right. They, tra- they make some more rash vows that are even worse that pile on. So the second thing we'll see is rather than repent, they'll make another mistake. Thirdly, rather than repent, they're going to look for a loophole. Rather than repent, they're going to look for a loophole where, you know what, I made a vow, but hey, I can can squeeze out. I found a way. And then lastly, the reason for these ungodly actions. Why are they doing these sinful things? So, consequences of a vow made in haste, mourning over the potential consequences. Look at verse 1. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah. Remember, they had sworn an oath earlier when they had gathered together to go out into battle. They swore an oath, they took a vow. They were warned by God not to take these vows lightly. But remember, there's two different kinds of vows. I want to make this very clear. Some vows were commanded by God. There's a Nazarite vow. He told Samson, "You're Nazarite from your birth." John the Baptist took a Nazarite vow. Paul took a Nazarite vow for part of his life and when they took the Nazarite vow it was voluntary entered in it was something that God had called them to and they did it in obedience to the Lord but some people made rash vows that had nothing to do with God and this is what we're going to see tonight a rash vow that had nothing to do with God so it was done in a moment of anger remember the mob was all whipped up they said send your people out they said no we're not gonna not gonna do it they said okay fine then none of our people, none of our women will ever marry any of your men. Ever. We know that we're all children of Israel, but we're never going to do it. Now, it was a, a vow that seems to make sense. But they never sought the Lord. They didn't pray about this. They didn't hear from God. God didn't say, okay guys, because of what they've done, don't you intermarry with them. That's not what happened. What happened was they were whipped up and they were trying to, you know... and guys, By the way, if you respond with that kind of a heart... In any circumstances, it's never good. Amen? Don't you know how to push the buttons of the people closest to you? And usually when your voice gets up about like that's not good. Nothing good is happening. And when the angry mob is all whipped up and then they make a vow, that's usually not God. That's not how God works, amen. So this vow is an oath and And often in the Bible, as I said, they're made foolishly. We saw it with Jephthah, we saw it with Saul, and here we see it with the children of Israel, even though it may have seemed outwardly like the right thing to do. So Gibeah's residents were of the tribe of Benjamin, and when the Benjamites refused to to send them out, this vow came flying out of their mouths. We don't want anything to do with you guys. We're not going to let our daughters be married to you. Saying, none of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. So this is their vow. They've made it before God. It wasn't a vow that God had given them. It was a vow that they had done in their own anger, in their own whipped up, mob-like state. And again, it may seem right. And I understand it. And, and, and rash vows often seem right at the moment. You know, nobody makes a, a rash and quick judgment to run off and get married that at the moment doesn't seem right to them. It seems right to them right then. That's amazing how unright it seems to them. Three weeks later in my office, well, I don't know what I was thinking. Well, okay, I don't either. But you're married now. You're married now. But but, uh, but isn't there an annulment? What are you talking about? You got a verse for that? That's somebody's way of trying. That's no. There are no loopholes. You're married, and stay married, and be faithful. Amen. Now, if you're here tonight and you've been divorced for whatever reason, God can heal and, and restore you from that. Amen? He's a faithful God. And I don't want you to walk out of here feeling condemned because you're, your God is a God of love and grace and infinite mercy. But rash vows often do seem right at the moment, and it seemed right here. We'll never give our daughters to your sons. And again, we're going to see that because of this vow, that the way they respond to the Benjamites is in a way that is not truly just. Because true justice not only brings about justice, but it makes sure that the punishment is fair, but it's not too harsh. And that's why we must never discipline in anger, parents. Amen? Amen. Never discipline your kids in anger, ever. I don't care what they've done. I don't care if they burn the house down. They burn the house down go take a drive before you punish them. Amen? Amen. Because you don't want to punish them in anger. So then it says, then the people came to the house of God. The house of God at the time was in Shiloh where the tabernacle, the ark was set up. And they came into God's presence to no doubt praise Him for their great victory and fulfillment of His promise. You know, they just won the battle. Benjamites had given up. There were 600 of them up up on the rocks. And, you know, in fulfillment of His promise, you would think that there would be great rejoicing and feasting. But notice, there's not. Look what it says. The people came to the house of God. And remained there before God until evening. So they were not feasting and rejoicing as you might expect. Look what it says. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. Now why are they weeping? They just won the battle. God told them, go and I'll give you the battle. They won the battle. It's not because the 40,000 of their own men had died. But because their vow and overzealous vengeance put Benjamin... On the verge of extinction. you got to understand something. When you make a, very rash, a really rash vow like that, and you move in such a way, there's going to come a point early on that you're going to realize, I miss God. You know what? We miss God. Because they were so angry and so bitter at that point, but then they quickly came to, came to realize, we've almost wiped out one of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's only 600 people left. And that, that 12th tribe is going to die off because you know what? We made a vow that we wouldn't give them our daughters. And there's only 600 men left. We killed all the men, all the women, all the children, except these 600 men. We wiped them all out. They're going to die off unless they marry the heathen, which God doesn't want them to do. And we made a vow they can't have our daughters, so what are we going to do? Now what should they have done? Should have said, Lord, that was a stupid vow. Forgive us and let the Benjamites marry their daughters. Because God's plan was that there would be justice, but it would not be so harsh that they wiped him off the face of the earth. These are not the Canaanites we're talking about here. These are the Benjamites. Benjamin. The favorite son, in a sense, of Jacob, right? His youngest son, who he loved dearly. These are his offspring. And they've almost killed them all. Now, were the Benjamites wrong doing what they did? Yes. But aren't you glad that when you blow it, God doesn't just wipe you off the face of the earth? Aren't you glad he shows you some grace? And what happens is they quickly realize, oh man, we went overboard here. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, now this is almost comical. O oh Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? God, why did this happen? Well, let me tell you why. The Benjamites were in rebellion. There were rapists and murderers and homosexuals amongst them in Gibeah, and they chose to defend them. And Israel, you took a rash vow, you overreacted, and you almost wiped them off the face of the planet. So why did it happen? Rebellion, rape, murder, reprobate minds and rash vows in the heat of passion and your overreaction. Why are you asking me why did it happen? You know, that's what happens in the world often. We totally blow it, and then we want to blame God. We're living in a society of victims. Is that true or not? Everybody's a victim. People sin, get involved in rebellion, respond in fleshly passion, and then blame God. Don't blame God. It's never His fault. Amen? He is a righteous judge. He is gracious to us. He has delivered us from so much. But we're raising up a generation, like I said, where there's no responsibility for our actions. It's never my fault. It's nothing I did. It, we always blame others for our behavior. By the way, you know uh, we're going to announce this soon, but we're going to start having Sunday night service every Sunday night from now on. And what we're going to be doing is, the first Sunday night of the month, we're going to have worship. Just prayer and worship time. Believers meeting. Second Sunday night, this may change a little bit, the second Sunday night, we're going to do apologetics night. We're just going to go over different belief systems and The third week we're going to do maybe a a message from a conference, a marriage conference or a pastor's conference or something like that. And then the fourth week we're going to show like a Christian movie. And we're just going to have a time where you can just show up and just have a time together. But one of the the first ones we're going to look at in apologetics is what does the Bible say about psychology? And every time I talk about this, people get mad at me. And the number two major at Christian colleges today is psychology. But here's the truth. Psychology is the wisdom of men. And psychology is man trying to overcome man's problems through man's own efforts. And the truth is, it's not psychology. God doesn't need Freud's help. He doesn't need Jung's help. He doesn't need the help of any of these dead atheists to make sure we can diagnose our problems. Either our God is sufficient or He's not. Either His word is sufficient or it's not. And one of the biggest problems in the world today is psychology is making everybody a victim. My disorder made me do it. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. It's not my fault. Lord, how did this happen? Uh, Your wickedness is how it happened. You did things outside of my will. You didn't seek me. You went out on your own and now you want to blame me that it messed up. You went out and married somebody without seeking my will. You went out and got involved in a business without seeking my heart. You moved to a new city and you didn't hear my voice before you went. You moved in with a roommate without seeking my will. You do all of these things without seeking me. And then when it blows up, you want to know, God, where are you? I've been right here waiting for you all the time, wanting to give you direction. Quit doing it on your own. Let's seek the Lord. Amen? as they mourned over the potential consequences of their hasty vow that one tribe would be missing in Israel, it says there, O Lord, today, how can there be one tribe? So it was, verse 4, on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now this looks like they're moving in the right direction. Israel's in mourning and said, you know what we need to do? Seek God. Amen. Amen. If you're struggling tonight, you're in mourning, you're going through difficulty, turn to the Lord. Turn to Him. Before you turn to any man, seek the Lord. Seems to be getting right back on track. They got up early in the morning after a day of prayer and fasting. They built an offering, an altar. They, They offered up burnt sacrifices, which is for the atonement of sin. And then they offered up an offering of peace, a peace offering, which is the giving of thanks for the victory. They offered worship unto the Lord. This is good. But you know what? They offered worship unto the Lord, but they didn't wait upon the Lord. They worshiped Him, and then they ran out of the building. They worshiped Him and didn't take Him with them to work on Monday. Guys, we need to do more than worship Him on Sunday. We need to walk with Him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And what happens here is, watch this. Then the children of Israel said, verse 5, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up to the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning. I I made a what? A great what? Another oath. Don't. Now, wait a minute. You had one oath. You blew it. It's causing you grief. You're mourning over it. So now you've got to find a way. Here's what's happening we got 600 guys over here of the tribe of Benjamin. We made a vow saying they can't have our daughters, we got to find some women for them. So where are we going to find these women? Then they're sitting there, and they make sacrifices to the Lord, but you don't see anybody praying and asking God for guidance. They dropped their tithes in the box, didn't seek the Lord's will. Sang a praise song, but didn't seek the Lord's will. Never truly sought to know God's heart. Instead of waiting upon the Lord, they reached, reacted according to their own wisdom. They recalled another rash oath they had made in the heat of passion. We made one mistake, got to find another way to fix it. How about another rash oath? How do you think this is going to work out? Anyone who did not come to Mizpah to join us, uh, what was that vow we, oh, they, put to death. Put to death. Oh, I know. Let's find somebody who didn't come. We can put all of them to death, and then we can take their virgin daughters and give them to the Benjamites. That'll work. That way we can keep our oath that we won't give them our daughters. That'll be so pleasing to God if we keep our oath and go slaughter some more of His people. You know, this is what happens when people get real legalistic. They'll be be straining at a gnat and living the most ungodly lives. Like God's going to be really happy if I just keep every little rule. But yet at the same time, they have no intimate fellowship with the Lord. So look what it says. It says there, at the end of verse 5, Who is there among the tribes of Israel who did not come? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. Now, again, is that God's heart? That these men would be put to death? Is that God's will? That His own children would be slaughtered for not showing up at a meeting that He didn't even call? But that's what these people are doing. They're moving according to their will, not the Lord's will. Now look what it says. So it says there, anybody who doesn't come shall be put to death to kill more of God's own people. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to death. Man's way, we, we figure out our way, we think we know best, we need to learn to trust in the Lord. So look what it says. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel today. Throw brought on by their own rebellion, they were were grieved for Benjamin. Now, just on a side note, this is how God feels about us. We blow it. We've sinned. We deserve what we're about to get and God's grieved for us. What a gracious God we serve. Amen? And we see a little picture of that here. That They're not delighting in their destruction. They desire, the Lord tells us that He desires that none should perish, no, not one. And, this one tribe is about to die off, due again to Benjamin's rebellion, Israel's overzealous attack, and it grieves God when anybody is cut off from Him. There's a picture we see that God's heart is broken when anyone is cut off from Him. Verse 7. What shall we do for wives for these who remain? Seeing so we have, seen, we have sworn, sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. So who is there remains? There's 600 guys up in the rocks. They're in like a fortress in the rocks, hiding out. We know that from the previous chapter, they've been up there about four months. And they were the only remnant. They're all that's left of the Benjamite. There's no women left, no children left. So we had sworn by the Lord. Now again, unlike a marriage vow or a Nazarite vow, this was not a vow that God had instituted or initiated. It was a vow initiated by man that was ungodly. Only way for the Benjamites to survive heathen women or These guys would have to void their vow, and they were not about to do that. I personally believe they should have. I personally believe they should have fallen on their face before God and said, God, we blew it. And let's bring the Benjamites back. And you know what? Maybe some requirements. You know what? The Benjamites who repent for what they have done and come and want to get right with God, they can then come back in and be intermarried with our our daughters. I think that would be totally fair. But instead, they try to find another way. If we make a rash oath to do something ungodly, we should void that oath. Amen? Don't stick by an oath, stand by the Word. And Israel instead is not going to do that. So the consequences of vow made in haste, number one, mourning over its potential consequences. Number two, another vow, making another vow, to cover the first one. Making another vow to cover up our first mistake. Look what it says in verse 8. And they said, what one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And the fact no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. So they said, who didn't show up? Because remember, we had that other vow. Anybody didn't show up, we could kill them. So maybe someone didn't show up. We could kill them, get their girls, bring them down here. That will be good. Where is this good? And where is anybody seeking the Lord? Nobody. You know what happens when we start doing what is right in our own eyes? It's a mess. And Jabesh Gilead was only a couple of miles east of the Jordan. It was within the area of the tribe of Manasseh. And two wrongs do not make a right. Making another vow to cover up the last one that we blew is never right. We need to repent, not make another vow, not make another promise, not try to correct it with another mistake. And so they cry out, say, hey, nobody from Jabesh-Gilead was here. Verse 9, for when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So nobody was here. So you know what? They broke the vow. So we can go kill them. Now, who made the vow? Did God make the vow with them? No. It'd be like if we said, anybody doesn't show up next Sunday, we can kill them. (laughs) And you know what? My, you know, somebody. When we could be, you know, my husband's kind of a jerk, and he wasn't here last Sunday. And there's a guy here whose wife wasn't here last Sunday. So we killed my husband and his wife, and we could just get married. It'd be great. I mean, how stupid does that sound? That's what they're doing. They're disregarding what the Word of God says. They're disregarding the heart of God, and they're doing things their own way. And then they're going to wonder why it's going to be a total disaster. When we take God out of the equation, it's going to be a mess look at verse 10 so the congregation sent out 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword including the women and children is that the heart of God they're going to kill the women and children these are of the tribe of Manasseh now you know what's interesting they don't even ask him why they weren't there they didn't say, go send the messenger and find out why they weren't there. Maybe they didn't get the message. Can you imagine? Maybe no one had told them there was a meeting. They're in kind of a remote. Who knows? Nobody even seeks to find out. They, all they say is, Well, we got one bad oath over here. We gotta fix it. They didn't show up. Let's go kill them and take their women, and then we'll be we'll be faithful to our oath. Guys, let's be faithful to God. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Too often we're trying to be faithful to oaths and you know, sayings and you know, all this stuff instead of just being obedient to the Lord. Verse 11. And this is the thing that you shall do, shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. The great callousness of these guys, again, not knowing anything about why they weren't there, said go kill all the men and women, but notice who they don't kill. The young virgin girls. Why? Because they had a plot in mind. They weren't being obedient to God. They were trying to get out of their previous mistake of the oath that they had made. Verse 12. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Now, how many men were there? How many virgin girls are there? That's not enough, is it? You notice know, so when we do things our way, we always fall short. It's never... When God does it, it just fits, doesn't it? It's always perfect. They go and slaughter a bunch of people to get 400 girls. So now they're going to have to come up with yet another plan. Why? Because when we do things our way, it never works. What a mess this is. When we don't trust God enough to wait upon Him to seek His perfect will And and think about these girls. What kind of girls are they bringing back for the Benjamites? 400 young virgin girls who have sat there and watched their moms and their dads and their brothers and their sisters be slaughtered by their own people. And then they're going to be brought down and given to a bunch of strange men they've never met to be their wives. Is that the hand of God? Absolutely not. But yet, here's what happens when we get caught up in keeping a pledge or a vow that we've made, rather than hearing from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. We can tell the Holy Spirit's not involved in this, because this is a confusing mess. This whole thing is one big mess, as everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Look at verse 13. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who were in the rock of Rimon, and announced peace to them. Now, I agree that they had been overzealous in what they had done, but it's just like one day they just decided, well, it's okay. Do you see any repentance in the heart of the Benjamites? There's no repentance, there's no brokenness, there's no coming before God. They just ran into the rocks. And then after a while they thought, well, all right, they met there four months, come on back. Now again, I think they were too harsh in what they had done because they didn't wait upon the Lord. But now I think they're still blowing it again in the way they're responding to this. They're acting like it wasn't a big deal. Okay, you were defending the rapists and the murderers, and that's fine. So in four months, come on back. And by the way, here's 400 girls from a, some people we slaughtered, and you can have them as wives. Wow. Isn't it amazing the grace of God? It's amazing He didn't just like light them up right there? You know what? I'm tired of you guys. <laughs> you know, I could have done that. I'm just going to start over. You guys are just making me sick. This was 400 years of this. Right? Over and over. God of grace. Isn't he a God of grace? But didn't that encourage you to know that though you've blown it, God's faithful. And he still loves you. And he still desires to do a work in you. So they announced peace to them. Let them know they would no further had no further ill will toward them. Again, amazing how quickly they did it. No signs of repentance. Israel's rash vow to destroy them brought them to a place of mourning. They want to restore them. So now they've had another rash vow concerning the people of Jabesh-Gilead. They've gone up and killed them all. They've got these women with them. And they're bringing them down now to give to these men of Benjamin. And again, do we see them seeking the Lord anywhere? Anywhere in this chapter? Anybody seeking God? Anybody praying? They took their own idea, and they ran with it, and it resulted in dead bodies everywhere. So hard to just wait upon the Lord. By the way, if God hasn't shown you to do something, don't do it. Amen? But what if I have to wait? Then wait. God answers prayer three ways. Yes, no, and wait. Amen? And We want an answer. Now! Wait. And we need to learn that God's ways are not only perfect, but God's timing is perfect real quickly you've heard my testimony most of you i was in southern california i knew i was done down there i've been a youth pastor for 10 years and i was my pastor called me in on a on a sunday night after service said tell your wife to go home i'll give you a ride i need to talk to you and i was one of the assistant pastors i just thought he wanted to talk to me about something he called me in and said dave you know what i think of every week when i see you sitting in the front row i said what he said the word that comes to mind is rebellion I'm his assistant pastor. I'm like, thanks for shopping. And he said, he said, here's what I mean. How long have we known that you're called to go plant a church? How long have you been talking about that? Oh, I don't know, five or six years. Well, here's what we're gonna do. You no longer do any ministries in this church as of today. That ought to motivate you, he said. I'm on that might. And then he said, he pulled out tapes of the last five Sundays I taught. He pulled out the Calvary Chapel Pastors One and list. They had all these places all over the country that were looking for someone to come and plant a Calvary Chapel and said, I want you to mail those out. Here's a recommendation letter. Time to go. Love you. We're going to miss you. Time to go. In the meantime, I came to visit my parents. I met Don McClure in San Jose. And Don McClure said, Dave, you know what? We got 100 people in Fremont having a Bible study. And I've been praying that God would bring a Calvary guy up here to take that group. Why don't you pray about going to Fremont? At the time, I thought I was supposed to leave California. I wanted to go where there was not a Calvary within 1,000 miles. That was my heart. But he said, no, but there's no, there aren't a lot of Calvaries up here. Why don't you pray about it? I went back to work the next week. He said, if they won't transfer you up here, your job, I'll give you a job on staff, and you can go plant that church. I go into my office the following Monday. My boss comes by and says, aren't you originally from Northern California? I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, there's an opening in the San Jose office. I don't know if you'd have any interest in that, but there hasn't been one like 15 years. I thought you might be interested in it. I'm like, Okay, Lord, you know, that's Lord. And so I applied for the job. I, I sell my house. I move my family up here. I'm supposed to meet with Pastor Don Sunday morning right after church to meet the people from Fremont. And the following Sunday, we're going to start Calvary Chapel, Fremont. While I'm sitting in the, in the sanctuary during service, they call up Tim Brown, who is an assistant in San Jose and announce that he's going to Fremont. I sold my house. I transferred my job. I'm in San Jose. What in the world is going on? God knows, doesn't he? See, sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. And God wanted to work more on my heart, and I spent six years in San Jose. Because God knew it was Santa Cruz all along. And sometimes that's what we need to understand is that God says no and sometimes He says yes, but other times He says wait because He's got something better and He wants to continue to work on our hearts before He gives it to us. Amen? Mm -hmm. This is what should have been happening in the heart of the children of Israel. Instead of waiting upon God, they're moving and knocking walls down to make stuff happen. And one of my favorite statements in ministry is no striving. If you have to strive, it's not God. If you have to knock the walls down, it's not the Lord. But Israel made one rash vow, they're striving in the flesh, they're moving without the Lord, and the result is more dead Israelites. There's a time to stop making excuses, to stop trying to cover up past sin, and to fall on your face before God and repent, and that's where they should have been. But instead, they're trying to cover it up. Verse 14, so Benjamin came back at that time and they gave them the women whom they saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, yet they had not found enough for them. You know why? Because they were trying to do it. They didn't have enough wives for the Benjamites because they were doing it in their own ways. God's ways are always sufficient. Man's way always falls short. Verse 15. And the people grieved for Benjamin. Now listen to this. Because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Did the Lord do it? They're blaming it on God yet Again, man takes no responsibility for his actions. The Benjamites were rebellious and the Israelites had been overly zealous and taken a rash vow and made a vow in haste and that's why this tribe was on the verge of extinction which God would never have allowed. You know, they could have stopped and said, Lord, we have totally blown it. We don't even know where the women are supposed to come from for them. You tell us what should happen. Do you think God would have come up with a plan? Of course He would have. He's God. Amen? He wasn't surprised they had blown it. He knew they were going to blow it before the foundation of the world. And he had a better way, I promise you. So, the consequence of a vow made in haste. You mourn over potential consequences. You seek to cover one mistake with another. And now, rather than repent, they're going to look for a loophole. Look at verse 16. Then the elders of the congregation said, "'What shall we do for wives for those who remain "'since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed?' Okay, we, we fixed 400 of them. There's still 200 guys up there. We've got to find them some wives. We can't give them our wives unless we repent for what we've done, and we're not about to do that. Verse 17, they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath. Cursed be the one who gives a wife To Benjamin, I think cursed is the one who's trying to do all this stuff. (laughs) Cursed is the one who's trying to do things the wrong way. How's it working out so far? got dead Israelites everywhere. This is not God's plan. They're trying to find another way, to come up with another scheme. And man will often, often go to the most incredible lengths rather than repent. I'm amazed how far people will go rather than repent. You know, if we got parents in the room, isn't it amazing how far your kids will go rather than just say they're sorry? Sometimes, right? Blame, blame, blame. What wasn't him what wasn't it? Oh well, that's what i am making excuses. And just once when you loved a kid. Did you yes, I broke it, I was totally wrong. Please forgive me, I'm wrong. We'd probably all fall over and die, wouldn't we? But you know what? The Lord's looking for us to have that same heart, isn't he? Instead of making excuses, well, you don't understand the boss I've got, he's a jerk. It's not my fault that I respond the way I do. I can't help it. It's my Irish temper. Stop that too already. Amen? Amen. Quit blaming on your heritage. Don't blame it on your boss. Don't blame it on the woman thou gavest me like Adam did. Man will often go again to that most incredible place rather than just fall on his face. He'll try to find a loophole to escape from his current situation without having to honor God's word. Instead of just falling on his face, that would have been tough, right? They would have to confess to everybody. We blew it. We were wrong. It's so much easier to just try to find another way around it and still keep my pride. I wasn't wrong, but I've got to do it my way now. And I'm going to find another way. And again, the most easy example for me is when somebody gets married to somebody quickly and then is in the office wanting to find a way to get out of it and they got every excuse in the world. They had every reason to marry them three weeks ago and every reason now that they don't want to be married to them anymore. In three weeks. Why? because they did not wait upon the Lord. Instead of trying to find more creative ways to get away with sin, may we find more simple ways to come broken and repentant before God. Let's try, not, try to get creative with God. Do we think we're fooling God? God didn't think of that when He wrote the Bible? Oh, yeah, you're right. Duh, I didn't think of that. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you can get a divorce. It's okay. Contrary to what the whole Bible says about it. But yeah, you're, you know, your circumstances are unique. That's why. Yeah, you can have a mistress on the side. It's okay. I know the word of God says, no 40, but yeah, you got, you know, yeah, I didn't mean for people have wives like yours. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and people are coming and I'm amazed. I sit there with just my jaw open. Going, <laughs> you can tell me 87 different ways is not going to change what the Bible says. And then what's funny is they'll go to five other pastors and keep trying to find one. People come into our office and don't go to our church. I'm the ninth guy they've talked to. I'm like, what do you think I'm going to tell you different? Well, I just got thought maybe someone would have another interpretation. You mean the interpretation you want? Verse 19. Israel comes up with another scheme. Look what happens. Then they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebanon, and therefore they instructed the children to say, "Go, you know what? Go lie and wait in the vineyards. Go lie and wait in the vineyards and watch, and when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then you come out from the vineyards, every guy catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, and then go home. <laughs> the catch-a-wife scheme. Every man catch a wife is the name of our new plant. Now if Manny starts doing this in a singles group, we're going to have problems. 200 remaining bachelors told to go up to Shiloh and hide in the vineyard. I find that interesting. Hiding in the vineyard, and when the girls go dancing by celebrating the feast, grab them. You've been in the vineyard grabbing women at the dance. I find that Interesting. Isn't it amazing how people go to, you know, what, what do they make out of a vineyard? Wine. Mix alcohol with dancing. you got people grabbing off women and carrying them home. Is that not, isn't that what we see right here? Isn't that amazing? People ask me sometimes, should I let my daughter go to that dance? I just pointed to this chapter. Well, read that chapter and see what you think. The women went dancing by. Guys jumped out of the vineyards and grabbed them. I'm thinking, No. These men, are they hunting or waiting on the Lord? What are they doing? I tell people all the time, men, don't hunt, wait. The world says hunt. It says that God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and brought him his wife. He didn't hand Adam a bow and arrow and say, go hunt her down. You got a bunch of women out there, go find yourself one. Pick yourself a good one. Here's an arrow, go find, oh, there's one. That's not what happened. But you would think that that's the model we're following in the way that guys try to chase down women today, isn't it? Oh, got to go hunt her down. Got to get the right car. Gotta, gotta, you got to be looking Rico Suave, man. You got to be looking good. If you got to hunt her down, that's not God. Amen? I tell him no hunting, waiting. God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and brought him his wife, no striving. On a side note, when you let your kids go to the wrong places, if the lights are low and the sensual music's playing, don't be surprised when they get caught up in it. Amen? Dangerous combination of vineyard and dancing. Not good. So it says there, snatch them up and go back to your land of Canaan. Verse 22, Then it shall be when their fathers or brothers come to us to complain. I would think so. You're having a feast to celebrate. It could have been Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles. They're dancing, rejoicing in the Lord. And some guys who came from the tribe of men who had just been mur- killed, why? For raping that concubine woman till she died. People from her tribe have just grabbed your daughter and taken her away and you'll never see her again. You would think some dads might be a little upset. You think? I'm waiting for the next war. Where's the next war? This is the last chapter. What happened? You would think some guy... Now, if someone snatched my daughter off the road and went away, you guys wouldn't, you wouldn't know me until I found her. Amen? And the brothers would be right behind them. There's only 200 guys. It might have been 1,000 men related to these women. You would think, you guys are in trouble. But look what happens when you try to protect ungodly behavior. Then it shall be when their fathers and brothers come to us and complain that we shall say to them, Be kind to them for our sakes. Because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you had given the women to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. They're worried about the stupid oath. It's not like you gave them women, because if you gave them women, that would be breaking the oath. They stole your women, so it's okay. That's what they're saying. There's a way that seems right unto man, but it is stupid. Amen? But in the end, it leads to death. And if someone took my daughter, there'd be some death. But here's what's happening, is they're totally outside of God's will. They're more worried about covering up the rash oath that they never should have made instead of just getting right with God. Imagine if instead they had said, okay, Benjamites, here's the deal. We made an oath we shouldn't have made, but you know what? You guys are blowing it, and you need to get right with God. So you know what? If you want to get right with God, you want to repent before the Lord, and you want to come back and be restored unto Him, you meet us up at the tabernacle. And those of you who come and are there and reside with us for a certain amount of time, we see that your walk with God is strong, we will allow you to marry our daughters. And you know what? We'll let the dads decide whether or not you can marry their daughters instead of snatching your daughter away and letting the dad know, oh, too bad, we got to keep our oath. Legalism to the nth degree. This would have been war. Again, especially knowing where these guys had come from. They're more interested in finding a loophole in their oath. Look, now look what they can say. Look, see, here's what we did. We didn't break our oath, we didn't give them our daughters. We went and slaughtered the people of Jabesh Gilead and stole their daughters. And then we told them where to hide out when some of the women would be dancing by and they stole them away. So they stole them and we stole some and we didn't break our oath. Aren't we great? God must be so proud of us. And so blessed by our actions today. God's not looking for our actions but our hearts, you guys. It's not just keeping outward actions. It's walking in the center of His will that really matters. Last couple of verses. And it says in verse 23, And the children of Benjamin did, did so... They took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, and every man to his tribe and family, they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. You know what? Think about why they had all come there to begin with. They came there, why? Because the concubine had been killed. There was one woman who had been raped and abused unto death And it brought 400,000 men there to bring about justice. Then they made some rash oaths. They did things their own way. And what was the result of them trying to bring about justice? They slaughtered tens of thousands of people, including men, women, and children who had done absolutely nothing to do with this crime. They stole 400 young virgin daughters from their families and gave them to some of the men related and were protecting these murderers. This, this murderous group up in Gibeah. And then they told them, go and grab some of the innocent virgin girls who were dancing by and take them away with you. And then when they were all done, they all went back to their own houses. I'm thinking they never should have come. This has been a disaster. And this is what happens when man does things his own way. Amen? You know, we, we plan our own way, we plot our own way, and in the end... It's a disaster. They made rash oaths motivated by fleshly passion and the result was thousands died. Justice was never served. It was an absolute mess. Men, women, and children. I, I just unbelievable. The confusion and the chaos and the immorality reigned and there was no repentance. There was no brokenness. There's no submission. Do we see anything in here talking about them getting right with God? Do we see any fruit in this whole fiasco here? What's the answer? None. Why? Verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You look at that chapter, you see the disaster. And Why was it a disaster? Verse 25. Because there was no king in Israel, and everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. Nobody was looking at the word of God anymore, so they did what was right in their own eyes. You know what? People in our country stop looking at the Word of God and what do we have all around us? Sexual immorality, right? The divorce rate is as high as it's ever been. God is mocked. Marriage is not honored. Children are being abused. Sexual promiscuity is off the hook. Abortion is out of control. We're being entertained by the very sins that Christ died for. Our God's name is being cursed. And people who are Christians are going and being entertained by it. How far away are we getting from God? Why is it? Because we're not allowing God to be God of this country anymore. Moral relativism relativism was abounding then. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. How did that work out? We saw the chapter. Today, everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes. How is that going to work out in this country? If we don't get our eyes back on the Lord. Proverbs 14 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We have very little regard for the Lord in our country. But you know what? I pray that it would not be so in our houses. We desperately need to get our focus off of our needs and put them back on loving, serving, honoring, worshiping the one who created us. When you quote, we're, we're worrying about our will, our desires, our plans, our heart, our wishes, our wants. Quit making oaths so that we can have it better you know what guys here's the truth and to some it may seem like a big secret but it's not you want to know when you're going to have the greatest amount of joy when you're just walking in the center of his will it's not going to be how much stuff you have it's not going to be how many you know how many boats can we ski behind anyway you know how much stuff it's not about how much stuff we accumulate spending money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know It's when we get to the point where we realize all we need is Jesus. That's all we need. And sometimes you don't realize that He's all you need until He's all you have. Sometimes we've got to come to the point where He's all we have and then we realize, hey, He's all I need. So, in conclusion, consequences of a vow made in haste. Mourning over its potential consequences. Making another vow rather than repenting. Looking for a loophole. And then lastly, the reason for Israel's actions, including entering these vows, where there was no king in Israel and everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. If we want to walk in the center of God's will today, it's as simple as stop trying to do things our way. Stop trying to follow the pattern of the world. Isn't it amazing all the commercials today? It's always telling you what you deserve. Isn't it? You deserve it. You've earned it. You should have it. I'm glad. You know, Can you imagine if there, was, if there was truth in advertising? You deserve it. There'd be like hellfire flames. Right? You deserve it. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want that. You've earned it. Oh, I don't want that either. No thanks. It's not the brand new convertible with the blonde in it. It's the hellfire. And that would, no, I don't think so. My prayer for us is that time is short you guys and we don't have the promise of next week or next month or even tomorrow so instead of making vows to try to do things that will make us better in the world's perspective from the world's point of view let's just fall broken before him because a man or a woman is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken amen let's pray heavenly father we thank you we praise you we thank you for your word Lord, we thank you for the lessons we've learned in Judges. First, Lord, the lesson I've learned is the lesson of grace. That over a 400-year period of time, seven different times, they were walking with you. Their judge or deliverer died. They walked away from you. They started worshiping false gods. Judgment came. And then when they cried out, you heard them, and you brought them another deliverer, and you restored them yet again. Lord, seven times. What a picture of your grace. What a picture of your love. What a picture of your infinite mercy that you have toward us. That you would forgive us over and over and over again. But Lord, I pray we would not allow your grace to be cheapened. To thank Lord because you will forgive us and have forgiven us that we should just live lives like the world. Father, I pray our desire would be to walk in holiness before you. Lord, to be an example to a lost and a dying world. Father, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that's been struggling with a particular stronghold or sin in their life, making excuses for it, covering it up one time after another, continuing to live in it, trying to find a loophole to continue to live in that lifestyle. I pray that tonight, Lord, would be a time of true brokenness and repentance before you, and they would be restored from that sinful behavior. Lord, all of us struggle with sin every day. Lord, help us to, to keep our eyes on you, to seek first your kingdom. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.